You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Great to see you guys today, however you're experiencing church, whether online or in person. And today we're going to see what bonsais, billionaires, and the Bible have in common. Now, we're still kind of on a bit of a high from last Sunday at Easter where we saw a bunch of parents dedicate kids to the Lord. And we also saw like 33 people who were baptized showing their relationship with Christ. Anybody excited about that besides me? Awesome. Well, uh, I was inspired by the bonsai tree because I gave this little illustration in a talk back in January. I believe it was called Ashes in the Fire. And the way the illustration goes is that we looked back at World War II when the United States dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Japan, and thus ended World War II, and as soon as that bomb hit, over 80,000 people in Hiroshima died and many, many more from the fallout. But after uh, the, the whole city of Hiroshima was just ashes, I mean, there's, there was nothing left, and after that was over, uh, a lot of experts said, hey, you know, nothing is going to live, like no plants are ever going to live in Hiroshima or Nagasaki again, but the experts were wrong because today plant life is thriving in Hiroshima as well as Nagasaki. And there was this one bonsai tree that made it, that lived through the blast, and that bonsai tree is now at the National Arboretum in Washington, D.C., and it's a symbol of friendship between Japan and the United States. And I can't get this bonsai tree out of my head, and I'll tell you why. Because it reminds me of some of you. Some of you are like the bonsai tree. Because some of you, over the past few weeks, months, and years, have been through emotional atomic bombs. Some of you have lost relationships that were important to you, and you're hurt right now. Some of you have lost people to death in recent days. Others of you have run upon financial hard times or sickness or struggle of every different sort. I've had people in our church ask me things like, why did my dad have to leave us when we were so young and why is my life so hard? Some people have asked, does God have any answer for my chemical imbalance that's causing my emotional struggles or my chronic and clinical depression. It's all sorts of pain in our church. And what we want to learn today to do is be like the bonsai tree that is resilient through the emotional and spiritual atomic bombs of this life. Now, resilient means that you're able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. And what I think we all know is, is that we don't get to choose whether or not we're going to go through pain in this life. But what we do get to choose is whether or not we'll gain from it. So I want to submit one resilient idea for you today. And that is to choose to gain from pain. Could we say that out loud together with passion and conviction? Here we go. Ready? I'm going to point to you. 
choose to gain from pain. We want to choose to gain from the pain that we experience in this life. Now, that particular thought is brought up and talked about and written about in a little book by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called David and Goliath. And in this little book, he talks about the cognitive reflection test or the CRT. And that test has a little question in it. Let me show you the question on screen and you give me your first response answer to the little question. Ready? If a bat and a ball cost $1.10 total, the bat costs a dollar more than the ball, how much does the ball cost? First response, 10 cents, you would think. That's probably most people's first response, but that can't be right, can it? Because the bat is supposed to cost a dollar more than the ball. So, if the ball costs 10 cents, the bat must cost a dollar 10. And if that's so, you add 10 plus a dollar 10, you get a dollar 20, you've exceeded our total. And some of you are a little confused right now, but that means the right answer must be that the ball costs five cents. And if you're still confused by it, we're gonna post a YouTube video that explains it in detail so you can go back and watch it but suffice it to say for now that if you didn't immediately figure it out don't feel bad because 50 percent of harvard students didn't get the little question right uh so i got confused by it as well i had to call my wife in the rooms like honey should I explain this to me i don't get it here right but here's what the researchers did to help people help the students get the question right more times they added a layer of pain to it. So what they did was they printed the question in a 50% gray font. So the students had to read it with more pain in the reading. So more pain in the reading caused them to gain a deeper understanding of the question and the problem. So as you think about reading problems, what's a common reading problem? Well, dyslexia, right? Well, there's been found a correlation between dyslexia and really successful entrepreneurs. So these are entrepreneurs like, for example, John Chambers, CEO of tech giant Cisco, or he used to be. Uh, then there's, of course, Richard Branson, the British billionaire. And then there's a guy named Laddie Delano who... Uh, actually not only dealt with dyslexia, but also had a struggle of hearing in one of his ears. And the pain of reading problems with dys dyslexia caused them to gain wealth. In fact, one woman in the book, in the little David and Goliath book, explains how she was giving a speech to a room full of the most successful entrepreneurs in the United States. And she did a raise of hands and said, how many of you have ever dealt with dyslexia? and over half the room raised their hands. See what's going on here? Is that whether it's a little test, bonsai trees, billionaires, people who have had to deal with deeper levels of pain can choose to gain from it. And so that is the answer to the question, what do bonsais, billionaires, and the Bible have in common? They all teach us that we can, if we choose to, we can, gain from pain. Can we say gain from pain together one more time? Ready? Here we go. Gain from 
pain. Now, as we study the little New Testament book of First Peter today, we've got a little reading plan. And when you came in, perhaps you got this little reading plan online. We'll have a PDF version of this. If you'll follow this little reading plan throughout this series, you will have read through First Peter seven times over the next five weeks. So follow the reading plan. Just because you're reading the little book more than one time, that's better slow down, smell the roses, read it slowly, read it repeatedly. If you're not a book reader, listen to it on audio. You can download the YouVersion app and listen to the Bible on audio. But what you got to understand about First Peter, this little book, is that it was written by the Apostle Peter from Rome under Emperor Nero's reign, so Christians were being persecuted and depressed. So Peter was not writing this little book from a position of cultural power. He was not writing this little book when he had religious freedom, but the church was being persecuted. They were going through struggles, and they were about to go through more problems and struggles. So when Peter writes this, you got to understand that he's not a guy that has everything the way he wants it. This is a guy who who's experiencing some pain, and he's going to experience even more pain after he writes the little letter. And so let's look at the purpose of the book in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. And remember, Peter says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing, the problems and the pain, is truly a part of God's grace for you. And look at those next two words. Stand firm in this grace. Stand firm. When you stand firm, you're like a resilient little bonsai tree standing firm through the bombs of this life. So I hope to encourage you during this series. Peter wanted to encourage us from his little letter. So I don't want to bum you out talking about problems the whole time. If you talk about problems the whole time, it'll just make you want to go listen to emo music and country music and talk about how your tractor won't run and someone ran over your dog, you know. That's not what we're trying to do during this series. We want to encourage you through the struggles of this life. Now today, we're just going to go verse by verse. I'm going to show you four truths about gaining from our pain, four truths about being resilient bonsai trees in this life. Let me show them to you, and then we'll break each one of them down. Number one, if you want to be resilient, live like foreigners. Number two, live with a resurrection expectation. Number three, embrace our secure inheritance. And then number four, we'll talk about being tested by fire. Look at number one, live like foreigners. Sometimes the Bible will say live like exiles or live like aliens. Now, if you're new to church, if you hear us talk about living like aliens, we're not talking about joining some cult where we're waiting on the spaceship and the flying saucer to come and pick us up after we've all drank the special Kool-Aid or anything like that. So we're talking about living now in this reality like we're foreigners here on the earth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He says, this letter's from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as what? Foreigners. And then he mentions all these places where they're living as foreigners, you know, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So we live in foreign, like foreigners now, and it helps us to be 
resilient. So when, when you, you go out of the country, like when I travel out of the United States and I'm coming back, okay, while I'm there, I'm living like a foreigner. But when I'm coming back, I just think about the beauty and wonder of home. I'm on the airplane, I'm coming back, and I'm thinking about getting back to San Antonio and getting me some tacos. Think about coming back here and getting some really good coffee. You know, all the things that I love about home. I love coming back here to City Tribe Church and being at home with you. You know, I think about all the things that I love. And in the same way, if you want to make it through the hard times, you have to live in this life as a foreigner here. And think about your ultimate home, which is in heaven. Your real home is a beautiful, wonderful place with many comforts and joys of seeing family that you've not seen for years because they died before you died. That will make you resilient. Now, now, can I tell you that a lot of Christians, they say, oh, we're, we're just foreigners here. So we may as well just scorch the earth and use it up, use up all the natural resources because it's all going to burn anyway, right? Wrong. Let's not, let's not be that way. How about we manage the earth, manage the garden as God told us to do in Genesis so that it's better for our future generations. We're loving our neighbors by caring for the planet, see? But when we, when we think about living as foreigners, I was reminded of Masaru Yamaki, who was the bonsai master that actually shaped and created the bonsai tree that I showed you earlier. Now, Mr. Yamaki, uh, he was the guy that donated the bonsai tree to the National Arboretum. And he indeed lived through the nuclear blast. And he shaped this bonsai tree. And back in 1976, he brought the bonsai tree to the United States as a gift of peace. And nobody really knew the story behind the bonsai tree until like 2001 when uh, Mr. Yamaki's grandsons came to the United States and they explained to the people at the National Arboretum that their grandfather had actually lived through the blast, that glass shot all over him during the blast and cut up his entire body and he found the little bonsai tree and cut it and shaped it because it had survived the nuclear blast. Nobody knew that that bonsai tree had survived the nuclear blast, but now they knew. And I thought, what a resilient man. He had the wherewithal after he had suffered physically himself from the blast. And he had lost who knows how many relatives and friends in that atomic blast. And yet he created something of beauty. And as a foreigner came to this country and left something that symbolized peace and beauty. And isn't that what we're to do as followers of Jesus? We live here as foreigners. And even though this world sometimes causes us pain, we leave peace and beauty in the midst of our own pain. That's what the resilient do in this world. So look at number two. We gain from pain when we live with resurrection expectation. Resurrection expectation. Now I got that from first Peter chapter one. Look at verse three, where Peter says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, 
Look at this last part. Now we live with great expectation. Great expectation. Now some years ago, my wife Jeannie and I, we visited the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And it is an intense experience. I mean, you walk through this beautiful museum, but they've got all these displays of Holocaust victims and what Jewish people went through when they were being exterminated by the Nazis. And you see these displays of pictures of people who have died, piles of shoes of people who had died in concentration camps. And it's so intense emotionally that once you walk out of the museum, they give you this little path to walk down that has a garden where you can kind of decompress emotionally after the experience. And one of the survivors that you'll see mentioned is, was a guy that we had to read about in college. His name is Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl survived Auschwitz, and he wrote this little book that's called Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Jewish psychotherapist that couldn't help but observe people while they were suffering, while he was in the concentration camp suffering himself. And he talked about how people reacted to the suffering in the concentration camp. And he mentioned four different ways that people would handle the suffering of the concentration camp. And all of these four ways of suffering or, or reactions are connected to their expectations in the midst of it. So some people, they would get brutal. They would get brutal because their expectation was the brutality wasn't gonna end, the oppression wasn't gonna end, and so we just have to fight back and get brutal and look out for number one and crush people to make sure that we stay okay. The second group, they lost hope. They lost all hope and died. Some, he tells stories in the book where people just lay on their beds and they would just die because their expectation or hope was completely gone. They only expected problems, hurt, pain in the future, and so they just lost all motivation or will to live. The third group, they held on to the hope and had the expectation that if they could just survive the concentration camp, that they could get their family back, they could get their homes back, they could get their jobs back, perhaps get some of their resources back and the like. And so they held on to that hope, but you know what happened to that third group? Many of them, when they got out, they got everything back, and for some reason they still weren't satisfied, and there are all these stories of people who got everything back but still committed suicide because they weren't satisfied from getting everything back after they got out. And then there was the fourth group. The fourth group, according to Viktor Frankl, was that they kept their inner liberty. They kept their inner liberty, and they made it through and they stayed kind in the midst of this experience. And this is connected to their ultimate expectation. Because see, concentration camps and suffering reveal or expose your ultimate foundation or your ultimate expectation. And what happens is, is that suffering will help you to see what you really rely upon in this life and people that have a resurrection or a future expectation that transcends death are more resilient. Did you catch that? 
if you and I have resurrection expectations that Jesus rose again from the dead and that he will raise us again someday soon, someday in the future, then we can be like the bonsai tree, knowing that whatever bonds we go through will be alleviated when we are resurrected in the future. Our hope, our expectation transcends this life. There's so much more than what we're experiencing right now. You know, my wife, she loves me, but I am not her ultimate hope. And I am not the foundation from her happiness. I'll, I'll illustrate why. If you look back at our wedding picture and you see what we looked like then, you can see me today and you can tell that I am fading. I am decaying. <laughs> I'm gonna die. You know, my, we were looking at these old pictures this last week and Jeannie says, you were chiseled. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you were chiseled? There's just a little more of me to chisel away now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's because I'm aging, I'm decaying, I'm dying, I'm gonna die someday, and so are you. And my wife knows that someday I will leave this earth, someday she will leave this earth, so our ultimate hope is not each other, but it is our resurrection expectation of Jesus someday because if you live long enough, your spouse that you depend on will, leave, will, will die. If you live long enough, your kids will move out of the house. Some of you think, oh no, my kids are just hanging on. Free laundry and food, okay? They're hanging on, but someday they will leave. Someday you won't, you, know, you, you, you love your job, you may not be able to do your job anymore because you will grow weak and you won't be able to work. I, I think about that. I love you. I love being your pastor. I love what I do, but someday it will end. You know, your health is going to end. Your hobbies that you love, you won't be able to do someday. And what will happen to your soul when all that you enjoy fades away? You hang on to your resurrection expectation and you will be like the bonsai who endures the pain of this life. So let's look at number three. We gain from pain when we embrace our secure inheritance. Our secure inheritance. Go to the next verse, which is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So how many of you know that a lot of the things that we have in this world will decay and will change? Some of us think about retirement, you know, and we save money back in those 401ks. And those 401ks are diversified in the stock market and all kinds of different things. But how many of you know that the stock market is not always secure? We have what we call social security I think we ought to call it social insecurity because we don't know if we're going to get it, do we? 
A lot of these things that we're dependent upon to sustain us may not be secure. Heck, we don't even know if our government's going to stay open all the time because the government closes from time to time, don't they, when they can't get along, you know? So there are a lot of things in this world that we're trying to depend on, but we may not be able to depend on ultimately. So here's the thing, is that the inheritance that Jesus gives us is absolutely secured. Your relationship with him, it's based on what he did on the cross, not what you do in practice. Some of you are thinking, man, I did some stuff wrong recently and I feel guilt and shame about that. Maybe Jesus bailed out on me. No, he didn't. He never bails out on you. He loves you. Just ask for forgiveness. Come before him, confess your sin. He cleanses you of that sin, but he stuck with you through your sin because your inheritance is absolutely secure in him. As you've served him in this life, he's given rewards, and those rewards are absolutely secure in heaven. See, so let's review the first three that we've looked at. We've said to be resilient, to gain from our pain. We live like foreigners, number one. Number two, live with resurrection expectation. Number three, embrace our secure inheritance. And look at number four, tested by fire. Now, number four is not really something you can do. Number four is not really a mentality you can have. Number four is something that's revealed. Your faith is revealed when you're tested by fire. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. These trials, or the stuff that you're going through right now, some of you, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring who? You. Much praise and glory on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, when you're being tested by fire and you're suffering, it does a couple of things. It does make you stronger. A lot of the time. But in a lot of time, it also just reveals who you already are. See? It reveals the faith that you already have or do not have. So everyone doesn't grow stronger through suffering. You know that, right? But some do. It reveals where you're at. If you choose to gain from it, then you can grow stronger from the trials the fires, because do you think that God knows what's in, do you think God knows where your faith is? Yeah, of course he does. He didn't take you through trials to learn something about you. <laughs> do you know that? God never learns anything new. It, it, he never says, oh, it occurred to me that, he never says that, because he knows everything. He knows you. But what he does is he wants to show you what's in your heart, because you may not know, see? So, it can make you stronger if you'll choose to learn from it. Now, I saw this survey some years ago, a few years ago, and it was about what is it that causes spiritual growth in a person? What is it that causes people's faith to grow? And they had all of this stuff in the survey. And what they found from the survey, it was not 
classes or studies that made people grow spiritually. It wasn't going to prayer rooms or having extended worship experiences that made people grow spiritually, even though those are all good things. You know what made people grow spiritually the most? Suffering. Suffering drove people to the prayer room, to extended worship, to studies and groups and classes and tribes of every sort. Suffering is what helps us to grow spiritually. And when Peter says, tested by fire, I wonder if he wasn't thinking about a story from the Old Testament that he would have known about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace by the evil king. Remember that story from the Old Testament of the Bible? But they were able to hang on and come through it like, a, like bonsais because they were resilient. They stood up to the king. They said, hey, look, king, we know our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. And when you stand firm, you will not bow down to the idols and the ways of this world. You become resilient like the bonsais. And these guys were tested in the fire and they came through because of the fourth man in the fire that we sung about earlier, remember? That fourth man in the fire was Jesus. Their resurrection expectation because they knew, hey, even if we go through the fire, even if God allows us to be burned up and die, we will be resurrected because of the fourth, the fourth man in the fire, which is Jesus. You know, I learned a bit about resilience and pain and suffering from pastor and author Tim Keller, who currently is going through a cancer diagnosis. Right now, Tim Keller has cancer. And he's doing okay right now, but here's what he said. You don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And can I tell you, if you have Jesus you can make it through any fire in this world as he has taken on all our pain, all our hurt, all our struggle when he died on the cross. The physical suffering of the cross was the minimal part of it. The bigger part of Jesus' suffering on the cross is your pain, hurt, woundedness that some of you are feeling right now. He took it upon himself. Now, Fairly regularly, we have these prayer times where we invite you to literally get up from your seats and walk down to the rugs in front of the stage or behind the soundboard. And we invite you to go and literally kneel and pray and bring your burdens before the Lord. And as I was thinking about the significance of our prayer time for some of you today, I couldn't help but remember when Jeannie and I visited a place in Jerusalem where Jesus knelt down the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if you go to that site where Jesus knelt down today, they've built a chapel over it, a cathedral, if you will, but they left the rock of agony exposed. And so it's like this rock that's sticking up out of the floor of the church building there. And our tour group went into this particular chapel, this place where Jesus 
had prayed with such intensity. And our group, we just kind of sat down and we were being reflective and quiet. And then I noticed this group of Korean believers walked into that little chapel. And they didn't sit down politely. But these people converged on that rock and they put their hands on it and they prayed with passion and tears and conviction. And you know what I did? I left my group and went and prayed with those Korean believers because I wanted their passion and their hearts of resilience to rub off on me. And so I went and knelt with them and I had no idea what they were praying, but I put my hand on that rock along with those brothers and sisters and I prayed and encountered Jesus there at that site. And look, here's the reason I'm telling you that. is because for, for some of you, to experience Jesus in the midst of your pain or to heal from whatever pain you're dealing with, you may have to leave your group to do it. And you may have to get up from your seat and take a step of faith out and move to pray. And when you do, it's not just praising, but it's lamenting. See, if you try to praise without first lamenting, then your praise is inauthentic. But if you first lament and you're saying, Pastor Doug, what's lament mean? Lament means you get straight, honest, real, raw with God and you lay out the pain and how it feels and you tell God what's up because he can take it. And then after you've laid out your pain to God, your disappointment to God, you're like, God, I don't know why I'm a Christian. Why you let me hurt like this? Why you let me struggle like this? Why you let me feel pain like this? I thought I was supposed to get a life. Why am I feeling this pain? Lay it out. And then once you've laid it out to him, he touches you and you can praise him. Praise him through the midst of your pain. So let's stand together now. And if you're compelled at home, kneel. If you're here in the room, come and let's pray, lament, and praise to gain from our good God. Cross that bears the burden, where 
that you came near and you were born of a virgin in a dirty stable and you came to the pain of our world to save us through Jesus and now under the new covenant you dwell within us and as we continue in prayer God I can't help but think about those that have never started a relationship with you and they don't have that source of power to get them through the atomic bombs of this life. And as we pray before God and if you would like love relationship with God that you've never had before, I want to just talk to him in your own heart right now and say something like this. God, look, I know I've sinned. But right now, the best I understand it, I choose to believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And when he died there, he spiritually and emotionally took upon himself all my pain. God, I welcome you into my life. Thank you for coming in. I'm your kid now, your daughter, your son. So thank you for the new life you give me. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Will you guys go ahead and take a seat just for a minute and as we wrap up. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.